the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. All right, everyone, let's start now, part two. Uh, we are still in studios doing this live stream with our brother Mel, who is joining us virtually doing this amazing research about the origin or the possible origin of the so-called sacred mosque and Masjid al-Haram in Mecca and how that ties into uh, Jerusalem many years earlier. And at the same time, one of a particular ritual called the Safa al-Marwa, where you run between two mountains, allegedly. Of course, in Mecca, it's not mountains. It's just uh, uh, pieces of rock protruding out of the ground. And the story is that when Hagar left Abraham, she was uh, uh, wandered into the desert, somehow made it all the way down to Mecca, was looking for water, and she was running between these two mountains. Every time she would see a mirage, she thinks there is water for uh, son Ishmael. She would run, and she did that seven times. And then that's where the ritual originated from. Other stories will say that these two mountains represented two people who committed act of idolatry, uh, adultery, I should say, in that sacred place, and God punished them and turned them into pillars of rock. Whatever story you believe, it's all uh, summed up with this one Greek word that I learned when I went to seminary, baloney. That's what it is. All right, my brother, I'll turn it over to you. Continue now with your uh, assessment and uh, the research findings. Okay, so we're going to get quite apocalyptic for a moment. Um, if we look at the map um, where Mount Moriah is, the the edge of it there, um, if I can point the, the cursor, the eastern gate is here. This is the place where both Muslims, Christians, and Jews um, believe to, that the Messiah... See, we don't see the map. Can you put the map up? Yeah, I think oh, okay. we're seeing it in the studio right now, I believe. We don't see it on okay. the screen yet. Um, have we got the slide up? <clears throat> All we can see is you let me, right now. Okay. Just uh, let me know when you can see the map. Anyways, keep talking. The engineers will get it up when it's ready. Okay. So basically, the Eastern Gate is the place where um, particularly Muslims believe that the, the Antichrist will pass through. And in the 9th century, they, in fact, they close that off and they... Um, in the 11th and 12th century, the Crusaders opened it up again. But the Ottomans, to make sure that um, the the Antichrist would not pass through there, they actually put a graveyard there. So this valley here, the, yeah, the Kedron now. Valley, no, yeah. So this Kedron Valley is is believed in Islamic tradition to be the, the place of the apocalypse. So one of the most important places you can imagine. So here is some example of quotations from Islamic tradition, just to give you an idea. So the Rock of Jerusalem is one of the rocks of paradise. 
We find in the Torah that God said to the rock of Jerusalem, you are my lowest throne and from you I ascended into heaven and below you the earth is extended and all the water that flows from the top of the mountains comes from below you. We look at this, Jerusalem is a land which Allah has chosen from among the other lands of highly important. God will destroy Gog and Magog in Jerusalem. So what I'm going to suggest to you is that originally this was an important location. They did a Hajj between both of these hills and they were going essentially through the Valley of the Apocalypse. And this is the location where they believe the Messiah would return. So highly significant for them. And they even said that the gathering, the resurrection of the dead will take place in Jerusalem. So how are we doing so far? We're, so it's a forbidden place. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I thought you were asking me to respond to that. So go ahead. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, so the, the forbidden place of prostration. Yes, it's the inner sanctuary forbidden to Gentiles. And the Arabs were blocked by Jews in 614. So that fits the place. God's house. We saw that the temple is often called God's house. It's a cube. The Holy of Holies was cubic. The first house at Becca. Well, we can see that that is from Psalm 84. Foundations raised by Abraham and Ishmael. Well, we see that the temple was built on Mount Moriah, where Abraham built an altar to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham, Abraham settled his progeny nearby. Jerusalem is the capital of the Jewish nation, which obviously is where the progeny of Abraham is from. Um, Hajj pilgrimage destination. The three Hag or Hajj feasts were celebrated at the temple. Animal sacrifice. Animal sacrifice of Passover, modern Hajj, finishes with Eid al-Adha, exactly like it was done at the temple. Circumambulation, well, we saw that between uh, both those hills. And Marrow and Safa are located in Jerusalem. Now, we're going to look at the actual, what we can verifiably say was the building of the masjid. So Umar, according to some sources, um, entered Jerusalem in either 636 um, or 637. Okay. What is this building on the Temple Mount? Prior to the Dome of the Rock being built in the 690s, the Saracens had built another structure, and this is incredibly important. Um, so um, I'll just cut to the, the main thing here. It says that the godless Saracens entered the holy city of Christ our Lord Jerusalem with the permission of God in punishment for our negligence, which is considerable, and immediately proceeded in haste to the place which is called the capital. They took with them men, some by force, others by their own will, in order to clean that place and build that cursed thing, intended for their prayer, which they call a masjid. Okay. Sophronius excommunicated an archdeacon called John, a skilled marble worker, mar mar marble worker who did work on this building for pay. Okay. And again, the monk Anastasius of Sinai informs us that he had witnessed clearing work being undertaken on the Temple Mount in 660. Now, it's interesting that on Friday, the 7th of June, 659, there was a violent earthquake in Palestine and many places were collapsed. This is from Robert Hoyland. Very likely, the Mosque of Umar was one of the edifices affected and it was therefore incumbent upon Muawiyah, sorry, I'll say that again, Muawiyah, to have the structure rebuilt. That both Umar and Muawiyah undertook building projects on the Temple Mount is confirmed by certain of our sources. So that's emphasised the fact that this was the masjid, and this was the most important place for them. And then what's interesting, a pilgrim visited in 670, and French bishop basically called Arl Kolf, who had been on pilgrimage to Jerusalem, got shipwrecked off the coast of Britain, and his account was recorded 
in Adamnan's writings, who was an Irish monk in 700 AD at Iona, which is in Scotland. And he says, in that famous place where once stood the magnificently constructed temple, near the eastern wall, the Saracens now frequent a rectangular house of prayer, which they have built in a crude manner, constructing it with raised planks and large beams over some remains of ruins. This house can, as it is said, accommodate at least 3,000 people. The way that they built this is very similar to to the way that the Jews built the original um, place of worship, the tabernacle, um, centuries before. Okay, so it's about, I, I, I reckon it's about the size of an fo- American football pitch to accommodate 3,000 people. Now, next, there's a mixture of direct evidence and circumstantial evidence for Jerusalem being the focus of an Abdul al-Malik-sponsored Hajj. Um, so there are a number of milestones from different directions around Jerusalem. Um, you can read this yourselves, um, which were all seem to be directed towards Jerusalem. Um, there is one particular quote uh, from Damascus to this milestone. There are 109 miles. Okay, so this is circumstantial evidence. It would fit with the idea of a Hajj to Jerusalem. Um, another milestone says the servant of God, Abdul al-Malik, commander of the faithful, ordered the straightening of this mountain road. And it's dated to either 693 or 702. Part of it got knocked off. And that's why we don't know which it is. But here's the direct evidence. This is the bit that should excite you. The link between the Hajj and Abdul al-Malik, Safa and Marwa is further strengthened by the following papyrus written by none other than his nephew, Sal bin Abdul al-Aziz in Egypt, to a governor who is encouraging, who is encouraging to take part in it, and it's dated between 707 and 717. Okay? So I won't read it all. You can read it yourselves. But the key bit there is, um, I have mentioned the Hajj. The commander of the believers has proclaimed it to the people, and he has exhorted them to it. Now, we can eliminate Walid being the the person he's referring to, because there is another rock inscription which is dated to 701, 702, again referring to the Hajj. So that would mean that it's most likely that it's Abdel Malik's Hajj that has been referred to. And if we look at the map, let me just go back a second. Um, it makes sense for it to be Jerusalem. Um, if we take a trip from Egypt to, to um, Israel, that's a reasonable journey on camels. And your man says to the governor, um, uh, go out with me with my riding camels and do not oblige yourself to anything besides the rental costs of a camel. Okay, I would suggest that it's very unlikely that they're going all the way down to Hijaz. That would be an incredibly long journey for them to be taken on camels. It's about it's about uh, 600 miles. Yeah. Now, we also have the Masjid al-Haram inscription, which is obviously dated 697-698. We're not 100% sure where it's referring to, okay? Um, and because it's northwest of Taif, we could assume it's Mecca, but we don't know for certain. But the dating is interesting. Um, and it says this was written in the year the Masjid al-Haram was built in the year 78, uh, sorry, the 78th year, okay? So it's circumstantial. So we have a problem. Uh, the inscription in the Dome of the Rock says it was built in the year 72, and this one says 78. I would suggest a possible anomaly is, do we count the foundation or the completion date as the year it was built? That might actually um, accommodate both of those different dates. 
if we take the example of the uh, Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, the building of that was started in 1882, still not complete. So when they do finish it, which date are they going to say was built? Are they going to say 1882 or are they going to say whatever, 2050? Mm. So that's possibly uh, a solution to the anomaly there. If we if we are open to the idea that actually mm-hmm. it, the that uh, rock inscription might be referring to the masjid in Jerusalem and not in Mecca. Yeah. Now, where where was and, the rock, and then uh, where was that rock inscription found? Taif Taif is just southeast okay. of of okay, yeah. Taif, Taif yeah, just yeah. southeast yeah. of Mecca. Yeah, I, I see it. Yeah, now. it's in Taif. Yeah. Okay. Now, what's also interesting if we look at the monikers of the two key individuals, um, Abdul Malik's. Uh, Name The full name is Ibn Marwan, which could mean son of Moriah, son of the Temple Mount. And of course, Al-Hajjaj, it could be a reference to the fact that he was um, someone involved in organizing the pilgrimage to Jerusalem because the word um, Hagag was specifically a pilgrim to Jerusalem. So that's significant just in the name itself. Um, so if we've got time for one more, <laughs> I don't know if you know Colombo. Yes, he's just always, one more thing. This is usually the crowning achievement whenever he says that. Go ahead. What about the Zamzam well? Okay, this is the the, the uh, clincher, I think. So the word zimzum in Hebrew, according to Leon, uh, Leon Peretz, relates to the sound the water makes, i.e. the gurgling of water. He told me about that uh, uh, literally about a year ago, and um, I, it's stuck it in the back of my mind. <coughs> And uh, so the Zamzam well is a well that makes a noise. That makes significant sense. And then I came across this source only about a week ago. Uh, five, it's from 570 AD. A man from Italy made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and left a written account in Latin. So this is, it, it, this is really significant. So he, he goes to the Dome of, uh, not the Dome of the Rock, sorry, the Temple Mount at the location where the Dome of the Rock was built, okay, later, so this is 50 years uh, uh, before Umar entered Jerusalem. He says, to the side, there is the altar where Abraham was going to offer up Isaac. Remember, we saw that uh, sacrifice of uh, Isaac earlier, where Melchizedek made his sacrifice. And then it says, on that altar, which is the Abraham altar, is a crack. When you put your ear on it, you hear the sound of running water. If you toss an apple into it or anything which will float and you go to the spring of Siloam, you will see it there. Between Siloam and Golgotha, I think there's about a mile, Jerusalem has no water source apart from the Siloam spring. So I found this, uh, this is from uh, Charles Wilson, Charles Warren, they did a survey on behalf of Queen Victoria, I think she in 1864. I think she sent them there to see if they could find some treasures on the Temple Mount. And we got this information here. And they confirm, I won't go through all of it, you can read it yourselves, but basically they said that there was a hole which has been cut through the upper surface of the rock. That's where the Abraham uh, altar is. And the hole is supposed to have been made for the purpose of carrying off the blood of the animals sacrificed on the rock when it was uh, the altar of burnt offerings. The Mohammedans venerate this rock as the spot from which, according to their belief, their prophet ascended to heaven. Now, what's interesting is they have found various shafts down below the Temple Mount. There is a, a shaft called the Warren Shaft, for example. 
Um, I don't know what to make of the pilgrim's account of listening to the water, but it's possible that that was either just a yarn or um, actually uh, uh, what you call an objective fact that you actually can hear the water underneath. If that's true, then Zimzum would fit that location. That crack in the rock could be referred to as a Zimzum. You're listening to the water underneath Zimzum. Now, let me let me just uh, say one more thing, uh, Mel. You just made a statement that is interesting. It says the Mohammedans uh, venerate this rock as the spot from which, according to their belief, their prophet ascended to heaven. Now, why in the world the God of Islam would take Muhammad all the way from Mecca to Jerusalem to allow him to ascend from there to heaven. What does that say about Jerusalem now in light of what we're saying? It seemed like somebody invented this idea that since now we want Mecca to be prominent, let's say he was, uh, the Isra took place, the journey to Jerusalem and the ascension took place from Jerusalem. Couldn't Allah just uh, allow him to ascend from uh, Mecca, the uh, earliest uh, city in the whole world, the, the place where Adam and Eve met and Abraham went and the list can go on and on and on? Do you see the irony now, folks, in all of that, how somehow you interject things about Islam just to accommodate something related to the origin of the whole story? Yeah, keep yeah. going. Yeah, um, I'll I just tell you some about myself. When I was a teenager, I worked in a lamb factory. And uh, my job was actually pushing the blood down the hole. And it's actually interesting because they, they had holes in the Temple Mount for that very purpose. Because if you can imagine a million people all looking to sacrifice their sheep at Passover, that's a lot of blood that needs to be drained that's down right. into the underground drains. So these holes are very significant. The sound, the zimzum, the sound that he's having, zimzum. So it's the name, it's the word of the sound itself is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. And so um, if you go down underground, underneath the Temple Mount, you'll actually, there is a, there's two passageways. There's a walking passageway and there's also um, a drainage point where the water flows and it goes where? It goes all the way to the well of Siloam. Mm-hmm. which is obviously very famous. During the Festival of Tabernacles, the Hag HaSakot, the ceremony of the drawing of the water occurred from the Pool of Siloam. During the singing of the designated Psalms, the Jews joined in with responses offering their halluas, or uh, um, their hosannas, and the messianic greeting. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Does that ring a bell? Blessed is he. Sounds very like the praised one. The praised one, you're right. Uh, mm-hmm. At this ceremony, Jesus had said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The pouring out of the water in the ceremony was looking forward to the time when God would pour out the Holy Spirit upon the nation. So this, both for Christians and for Jews, is one of the most holy places on the planet. Now, if we... Look at that then there. Um, this was also a place where Jesus healed another blind man. Blind man. If we look at where the Kidron Valley is, the Hinnom Valley, which is mentioned 101 times in the Quran, and look where the intersection is. It's at the Pool of Siloam. So it's obviously very important. Um, according to the Jerusalem Talmud, the, the Pool of Siloam was the starting point for pilgrims who made the annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem and where they send it by foot to the inner court of the Temple Mount to bring their sacrificial offerings. So I believe that this is where Abdul Malik's Hajj started. They went up the Temple Mount on the 
the steps that were there. There was a lot of rubble at that time. It would have been quite dangerous, I'd imagine. And then they crossed through the valley, the apocalyptic valley of Kedron, and then they went to Mount Safa. So we can see now how Marwa and Safa somehow became linked to Hagar's search for water because of that connection there with the Pool of Siloam. Um, and the tradition was set. And what's interesting is John of Damascus in the 630s seems to suggest that they have moved this location somewhere else. Can I suggest that that should um, be 730s? It's, sorry, it should actually. Yes, 730s, you're correct. Yeah, my mistake. But he says, um, the scripture says that there was a mountain like a grove and wood from which also Abraham cut for the, the whole burnt offering on which he laid Isaac and that he left the donkeys with the servants. Therefore, from what source is your foolish saying? For there is no wood of a forest lying in that place, nor traveling by donkeys. So what he's saying is, this new place where they're having their hajj, there isn't a place where you can get wood, and there is no traveling with donkeys there. This is obviously a place that you would bring a camel, but not a donkey. So what does that sound to you like? It sounds to me very much like the Mecca of the Hejaz. John of Damascus is mocking this new location, can clearly see from scripture that it does not match up with scripture. Which also suggests that by 730s, at that time, Mecca was a place that he is referring to. And that's why we can now start dating when Mecca was finally introduced. Yeah. So I think we're talking, uh, I'd say sometime between 700 and, and the 730s. And remember, um, remember uh, when we talked about the inscriptions, Mel, we, what did we find out with the inscriptions from Ili, uh, Ilstatz, uh, Lindstadt's, uh, well, all of his research? That whole yeah. idea of Mecca and the Taj is now being introduced on the script, uh, in, in the inscriptions, on the rock inscriptions around 720s to 730s. So it fits all That's the it. rock inscriptions. Well, Absolutely. Mel, we Absolutely. have uh, uh, about two minutes left if you want to wrap okay, up. Okay, perfect. Point. Yeah. yeah. So we have this lovely little quotation. Um, it says that Caliph Mansur started um, developing Mecca in 754. Um, so he basically, it says he enlarged and decorated this. And this comes from the Kitab Akbar Mecca, uh, which was written, if I can remember, eight. 65, so about 110 years later. So that's interesting. And I think this is very cynical. One of the inscriptions that they had placed there is the first house appointed to me was the one at Baca. How cynical can you can you get? If they're building Mecca for the first time, to suggest that this was the the first house appointed to me was the one at Baca, it, that's incredibly misleading, I would suggest. Right. And then what's also interesting is under Caliph Mansur, he built a new city, which is interesting, uh, 762, the Medinat al-Salam, the city of peace, which is remarkably similar in meaning to Jerusalem, which is city of peace or town of peace. So it looks to me that Caliph Mansur was trying to replace the old Jerusalem with a new Jerusalem and the old masjid with a new uh, masjid. That's what I would suggest. And there we, we leave it. Well, that's uh, fascinating, brother. Um, it's amazing. Thank you so much, of course, for doing all of this. Uh, hopefully, next time we have you, uh, either you have additional info or at least maybe new discoveries. But uh, 
Uh, Jay, I'll, uh, I'll give you like a few minutes, uh, I mean a few seconds, I should say, to just uh, capitalize on what uh, Mel have just mentioned. Well, we've looked at the Masjid al-Haram, we looked at the Safan Marwa, we looked at the Zamzam well. Uh, almost everything that Mel has introduced is the first time we're hearing this. Now, because of that, we need to unpack it more. This is the first time we're hearing it, Mel, where all of us are kind of a little bit gobs back, we're taking it back, we need to now unpack it more. We'll bring you on board, and what we'll do is we'll unpack it much more slowly. We'll look at more maps, we'll look at also more timeline. We need to put this on a timeline. Because there are so many dates that's coming out. Mel, you've done an amazing job. God bless you for that. Now, let us make sure that everybody understands it. But I hope for the Muslims that are watching it, can you see, this is yet another example of when you look at the artifacts, when you look at the documents, when you go to the maps of that time period, and when you look at the timelines. In every case, what Mel is finding, it shuts down the standard Islamic narrative. Absolutely. Thank you so much to both of you. And thank you uh, to those who are watching this live stream. Stay with us because we'll close right now and take some of your questions if you have any. And to those who are listening to this live uh, podcast, uh, hopefully you've enjoyed these two parts uh, of uh, Let Us Reason discussing yet another debacle in relationship to the historicity of Islam and the origin of many of its components. Thank you so much to both of you for being here. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, Jay. Thank you to everyone who's watching. God bless you. This is Al-Fadi, and uh, we will be, uh, of course, continuing next week with additional topics and other podcasts as well. If you are in studio with us watching this live stream live, please stay with us. We will take some of your questions. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.